Amen. Take a seat. This is a night that I know you guys love. These services are awesome. So here's how tonight's going to work. Uh, you have two ways of submitting questions. We already have a ton of questions that we are able to get started with. But as questions arise for you, whether right now, questions that you've already had, or if you have response questions to some of the things that they say, you can send those back in one of two ways. The first way is by the QR code on the back of your bulletin. You can scan that, open up that website, and submit as many questions as you would like. The second way, if you're, if you're an old tech kind of person and you don't have a smartphone and you still want to get the question to me, you have the option of texting me. You can text it to 562-377-2191. 562-377-2191. Now, I'm sure that's probably not for most of you. You guys can just scan the QR code and be just fine. But you have options. Okay, so that's the first thing. That's how we're going to do this. Second thing is I want to quickly introduce some of these guys on the stage. You know who they are, but still, as I introduce them, let's give them a round of applause. First and foremost, uh, to my left, I'm going to introduce Pastor PJ Burner. Hey, guys. You get a taste of the bridge right here tonight. How many seniors are out there for the bridge next year? Like five of you. It's awesome. <laughs> it's going to be great. Still, you're, you're enticing them now. You're getting them ready to go. Okay, and to his left... Last but not least, the one and only, the Lieutenant, Pastor Lucas Pace. He does so much here. I mean, they, both these guys do. It's, it's hard to detail all of that. But these guys are the ones who are here to answer all of your tough questions. And we've got some really good questions to start off with. So let me kick off the ball. There's a couple opening questions I want to get us rolling with. And the first one is of utmost importance. Everybody wants to know, guys. Uh, what is your, uh, your opinion about cats? Pastor Lucas, we'll start with you. Cats? Yes, it's, it's a thing for us. We want to know. Well, I remember preaching a, a sermon and using cats as an illustration. And I said something that uh, offended some people. <laughs> but if I saw a cat in the road, you know, those would be the things that I'd try to hit with my car. <laughs> Rather than try to swerve. So. Asked and answered. Yeah. Pastor PJ. Well, contrary to some calendars that uh, have been created <laughs> by one Evan Jacobson. And. Uh, we should show some of those photos. I mean, I'm sure you have them queued up because why wouldn't you? I don't. You don't? I okay. Don't. Oh, that's if a disappointment. You, if you see any pictures guys, with me with a cat, Instagram. they are clearly photoshopped. I would have really thought that you would have had that already in the works. No, words, I Because here's the deal. In the Garden of Eden, Satan was going to choose a cat, and then he was even annoyed with the cat, so he went with a snake <laughs> instead. He was like, I'm not even going to touch the cat. Cat wouldn't listen, probably. The cat was stooping too low, even for Satan himself. <laughs> so. I agree. All right. It's true. Um, Pastor Rod, I got a question for you. Sure. Since it was a Q&A day, and I was thinking about Q&A, this is a question I wanted to ask you all oh, day. No. Oh, no. But we were in meetings, and we, we were busy, uh, but I want your honest opinion oh, on no. this. What do you think of Pastor PJ's mustache? <laughs> I, I mean, really. What do you, what do you it's, honestly it's a, think? It's a work in progress, so <laughs> obviously I mean, it's, it's it is got... a work in progress. <laughs> To get the glorious stash, you got to go through the awkward phase, and this is the awkward phase. 
But look, I'm confident in it. I'm married. I've got five kids. I'm not trying to impress anybody anymore, right? Amen. That's what my wife wants How to How long right is it going to take you to get the glorious stash? Longer than I kept my last iPad. <laughs> Which was That's like true. six months. Yeah. So that was, that was it. Well, whenever you get the glorious stash, will you actually post a picture of that on Instagram for everybody to see? I will. Yeah. There we go. Handlebars included, right? Yes. Handlebars? Because okay. yeses are yeses and noes are noes. That's and he right. Said yes, he, he would, said yes. So he did say yes. You got to keep him accountable. Okay. Uh, what are some of the things this year? He didn't answer the question. <laughs> I feel like Pastor PJ answered it sufficiently. Okay. Like he, he answered it for us. Pastor PJ is a handsome guy, so he could pull off a lot of things. I think sweater vests, uh, mustaches, does it all. I'm a, Back to the future. Back to the future. Yeah, Marty McFly vest. Looking back at 2020, gentlemen, um, if you could just give us a couple small, I mean, some of the things that you've taken away from 2020, or some of the big lessons that you feel like, oh, I, I learned that, that was a helpful lesson, uh, and other people should know this. Whoever wants to go first. I think one of the biggest things, and even today with everything that happened today, if you guys were paying attention to everything that went down at the Capitol, there's a lot about this last year, obviously, that created a lot of, of unease with us, right? I mean, especially those of us who are older, we've, we've lived a little bit longer, we've, we've been on this earth for a little bit longer, in this country for a little bit longer, nothing like what we've experienced over the last year and now into 2021, nothing like this has ever happened before. But what was amazing is to experience the peace of God through the midst of the, the chaos and all the tumultuous, you know, are, are we allowed to gather together? Are we not allowed to gather together? How should we be doing this? Should we be wearing masks? Are we shutting down? What is this virus? How do we approach it? God's word was static. It was still, it was true. He was un, immovable. He was unchanging. So uh, that was the biggest thing for me was just knowing that I had a, an abiding peace with, with God that I, I, I intellectually knew was there prior to all this, but now experientially uh, know what that's like when your world gets turned upside down. Yeah, I, I think one of the things for me there's a lot of things that you could easily look at and be unhappy with in, in 2020. A lot of disappointments, a lot of, a lot of things that we plan to do. I remember for my kids, our Christmas gift to them in 2019 was 20 fun things that we were going to do in 2020. And we had plans to go on a train and go on to the airplane, on an airplane, go to an amusement park and do all these different things with them. And none of them happened because of everything that happened in 2020. Uh, but still reflecting back on uh, 2020, I, I still realize I got, uh, what I got in 2020 was better than what I deserve. Right? My kids got everything that was, it was better than what they deserve. And so there's a lot of reasons that we could say, man, I was upset. I was discontent with what happened. But really, God is so good in the midst of all of it. And uh, he is faithful and he is accomplishing his purpose. And I'm really just a small pond, you know, in God's plan to accomplish whatever he wants. And so whatever God wants to happen, 2020, 2020 was not a failure in God's eyes. He did exactly what he wanted to do. And he did exactly in me and through me what he wanted to do. And so I just want to continue to be faithful to him uh, in, in 2020, but also in 2021. Amen. Amen. Now, as you guys look back at your high school years, and, you know, your freshman to, to senior year, um, what are some things that, or some advice you might give to your former high school self? You know, you look, think back about Pastor PJ in high school or Pastor Lucas in high school. Uh, what are some things you might say? I would tell Pastor PJ back in high school, <laughs> I think he misunderstood. Never grow a stash. 
No. <laughs> did, did my wife call you before this and tell you what you should rag on me on? Cause no, is, she, is that what she's doing right now? I mean, it's not her favorite thing, so. Yeah. Well, you're, yeah, your wife, my wife would, would say the exact same thing, <laughs> that she would not like your stash either, so. <laughs> but she would not like my stash on me, so. I think in, going back into uh, high school, similar, I guess, to, to uh, thinking of 2020, I would tell my high school self, it's, it's not about you. And I, I think, you know, that's, that's something that I, I tell myself every year. Uh, it's, it's not about me. And we get, as human beings, we get so caught up in what is happening to me, that life in this world, it, it, it seems like it revolves around me, what I want, how I'm feeling, what my friends think about me, what grades I'm getting, what college I want to go to, what girl I want to date, what people think of me, what, how I want to pursue my athletic dreams, or, or whatever it is, it's about me. And uh, it's so easy in life, and especially in high school, just to get caught up in yourself. And what Christ calls us to do is to deny ourselves. And to take up a cross and, and follow him. And so, uh, I mean, that's something that someone should have told me every single day in high school. It's not about me. It's, it's, about, it's about Christ. Yeah, I'd say for me, it's, I was the kid that was thinking about what's next. And it was always what's next. And okay, I just need to get to my senior year. I just need to, before that, I just need to get my license. I just need to drive. I just need to get to my senior year. I just need to graduate. I just need to go to college. I just need to do this. I, and I was so in such a hurry to get, to, to growing up, so to speak, and had so much pressure on, you know, finding the right career path and the right person and, and all of these things and, and really building off of what Pastor Lucas said, it was because I was thinking mostly about myself, but I, I didn't realize that, man, you guys have time for so much of that to, to play out. There's, there's a lot of time if the Lord waits in front of you. And the question should be, what are you doing with today with your relationship with Christ? I, I wasted so much time thinking about my future. I neglected to really invest deeply in my walk with Christ when I was in high school, just on a day-to-day -day basis, uh, because I was worried about tomorrow instead of worrying about how can I pursue Christ, love Jesus more uh, in, the, in the day that's in front of me. Yeah, that's really helpful feedback, guys. Um, let me shift gears a little bit here. Speaking of 2020, um, all of us have had to go through the, the changing tide of some of the rules, the guidance, the restrictions. So uh, I know that everyone's thinking about how to, to honor our governing authorities in light of what Romans 13 says and 1 Peter 2. Uh, so help us flesh that out. What would it look like for us to, to fulfill those calls in Romans 13 and 1 Peter 2 to submit to the governing authorities um, while still being faithful to Christ? What is that? What kind of principles can you help us out with? Right. Yeah, this, there's some subjectivity to, to this uh, in, in the context that we're in today because Peter wasn't writing in the context of, of 2020 with the pandemic. Uh, Paul wasn't writing in the context of 2020 with the pandemic with Governor Newsom. doesn't mean there's not the scriptural truth that's there. So uh, what do we do with the scriptural truth that is, is unchanging, that, that bridges the gap there? And I think we as a church want to submit to the governor while we, can, while we are still carrying out the duties and charges that Christ has called us to do as the church. Um, we're sitting outside tonight because this is something that we're allowed and, and able to do, and we can do this with full confidence knowing that Governor Newsom himself could walk up here and walk up on what we're doing right now, and we're, we're within his guidelines of, of what he's called us to do, and we're, we're being the church, and that's what we're doing on the weekends as well. So 
we, we submit to those rulers, those governing authorities, but we also have a, a greater allegiance to Christ and his bride in the church. And the church can't be sidelined. The church can't be stopped. And that's where the subjectivity comes in. And and one of the things I would ask you guys to do is, is to pray for us as, as pastors because we meet weekly and we are constantly making decisions and trying to figure out the answer to just this question. Um, what does this look like in an ever-changing landscape uh, where it seems like the goalpost is always moving, the target is always moving? How do we navigate the waters in a way that's going to honor Christ and yet at the same time uh, be biblically submissive to, to what we're called to with, with the government? Yeah, I think uh, w- one of the things is for us as a church or specifically as pastors, we're, we're talking about rules and guidelines all the time. And our, our text threads are, are all about that. Our, we're praying about it. We're praying together about it. We're praying separately uh, about it. We're trying to read different articles and really trying to parse out what are we supposed to do or what are we not supposed to do? What are we allowed to do? And how does that... Uh, positions itself against biblical principles of things that we should do or things that we shouldn't do. And as Pastor PJ said, some of it is subjective, is is where we kind of land on, okay, what does this mean for our faithfulness to God in this time period versus faithfulness to uh, one principle of scripture of of being obedient to governing authorities. And so we're we're trying to do everything that we can to do both and to to do both faithfully as we're trying to to honor Christ. And so, uh, yeah, I, I think one of the principles that you ask, well, what do we do? We, we pray. We constantly pray. We're, we're studying God's uh, scripture t- together. And we are asking God for wisdom as we try to parse through what is the right thing to do in our attempts to be faithful to God uh, in all of what he has communicated to us in scripture. And just as a, as a quick follow-up, one of the things that we can all do is just watch the way that we talk about our leaders and authorities. And that's a, a way that we can honor them, is making sure that as, even if you disagree with everything that's out there, just being careful about how you talk about the, the governor, how you talk about the, the rulers, the authorities, the, the president, the Congress, everything else. That's one way that we often fall into the, the sin of dishonoring them is when we name-call, when we you know, demean them. Um, even with people that agree with us. And that's when it's easy to demean people when everybody's kind of nodding along with you at the same time. That brings us to a, a specific application of that principle. Um, you know that masks are mandated to be worn basically almost at all times and almost in all places. So um, what we've heard, though, is that masks are either um, a way of loving our neighbors or it's kind of an authoritarian overreach. Um, which of these two things is correct if either? And what happens if two Christians disagree on, on the answer to that? What do you think, Pastor PJ? Yeah, I would say on that, if, if that's our, our, our gamut that we're running here, I would say it's, it's closer to the, it's a, an issue of loving your neighbor than it is uh, certainly authoritarian overreach. Um, I'm not going to have to answer to Christ at the Bema seat if I wear a mask because the governor told me to wear a mask. I may have to answer to Christ at the Bema seat if I refuse to wear a mask and offend uh, a brother or sister in Christ as a result of that. Um, so I, I think there's, there's more eternally at stake, and it has nothing to do with a mask, and it has nothing to do with whether the mask is effective or not. Forget all that argument. It has to do with, with exactly as the question phrased it, loving your, your brother and sister in Christ, loving your neighbor, um, not even necessarily as believers, but loving the, the people in your neighborhood that you see out and about walking, um, walking their dogs, whatever, uh, and, and they've got their mask on. It's just, it's, 
it's maintaining your witness. It's loving them. It's, it's thinking about, okay, what's eternally significant here? God's not going to be disappointed on me if I, uh, in me if I mask up to, to walk into a store. Um, and I'm not giving up my man card or my citizenship card either to do that. It's, it's I'm going to love the neighbor and I'm going to do what I need to do. And this is a pretty low bar for us to, to reach to uh, in order to, to do what we're being asked to do. Helpful. You? <laughs> Nothing. I'll wear a mask. Okay. So one thing I want you guys to touch on real quick is what if two Christians disagree? One says adamantly, they're confident this is governmental overreach. And one says, well, you're wrong. This is loving your neighbor. We rebuke those other people. Do we do nothing? Well, it could be both, right? I mean, it could be governmental overreach and it could be also loving your neighbor. And... You know, so it's it, we're trying to parse things out. But again, what Pastor PJ said is the second greatest commandment is to to love our neighbor, right? And to really think about the persons, the people that we are interacting with, uh, to to love them, to care for them, to be thoughtful in our interaction. Uh, it could be from the the love of neighbor saying we don't want to get people sick, but it could also just be. Uh, caring for where they are at from a, a standpoint of what they think. It doesn't mean that we have to, you know, to follow everything that our neighbors, uh, their opinion about everything. But in this case, I guess when, we, when we're talking about a pandemic, at least that's what it's being labeled, people getting sick. Uh, you know, I, I think there's deferring to one another, as it says in Philippians 2, to not only look, at, look after your own interests, but look after the interests of others and to, to care about those people. Uh, yeah, and I guess amidst the closest neighbors among us are our family members. This person asked the question, how can someone consistently represent Christ well to their non-believing family without giving up? How do we really find rest in Christ while also not neglecting being above reproach? So um, not that all those things are mutually exclusive, I, I suppose, but maybe the heart of the question is, you know, I live with unsaved family members. How do I continue to stay encouraged and do well in that setting? I think the hardest thing for us to do is to believe the things that we preach sometimes. And we can personally say, yeah, Jesus saved me. He transformed my life. He purchased me. I've been regenerated. I've been born again. But then we grow discouraged when we're sharing the gospel, we're preaching the gospel to an unbelieving family member. And maybe it's been years that we've been doing that. And we lose sight of the fact that that as God says in, in scripture in the Old Testament, he says, look, my ear is not too dull that it can't hear your prayers. My arm is not too short that it can't save the person that you're wanting to be saved. It's continually reminding yourself that your schedule is not God's schedule and that the gospel is as powerful to save them the 13,000th time that they've heard it as it was the first time. And it's going back to the well time and time again. George Mueller is a guy that just faithfully prayed. He had five names and he faithfully prayed for these five names every day of his life uh, from the, the time that he began moving on until he died. And, and uh, I believe it was two of those names didn't come to Christ until long after he died. But God was answering prayers that he was praying while he was living and they were saved after he died. Was his evangelism wasted on them? Was his prayer life wasted on them? No, not at all. And so I think it's, it's being patient on God and trusting his timing, knowing that the gospel doesn't lose its power the longer you, you, you're waiting. It's still just as powerful, uh, again, the, the hundredth time as it was the first time. I think there's something that is, there's a real uh, genuineness of wanting people to get saved. And when we think about that just conceptually, we, we want people to get saved. We don't, do not want people to suffer God's wrath. 
And uh, especially those that are in our own home, in our household, our, those that are, are close to us, uh, we, we care for those people. But those are also the people at, at times that we can treat the worst, uh, that we can act uh, in a way that is, is not good, not appropriate, the where we let our guard down. I think that you are probably a lot better of a person in the way that you communicate and how you talk and how you act amongst your friends than maybe amongst your siblings and amongst your parents, right? Those people in your own home. And I say, if you really want the people in your own home to get saved, act like a Christian in your home, right? The way that you treat your, your parents, the way that you treat your siblings, how you talk to them, how you, you care for them, right? Show that you really want them to get saved by how you live in your home. And then obviously, as Pastor PJ said, we want to continue to pray for them. We want to share the gospel. Oh, we don't want to lose heart. We don't want to become discouraged because God is the one who saves. It's not us. But I never want to be a bad ambassador for Christ. And so how I am an ambassador for Christ, as it tells me to be an ambassador, is not just by preaching the gospel. I, yeah, I, I have to preach the gospel. But I better also represent Christ in my actions and, and how I live and how I talk. And so I would say, you know, Continue to pray, continue to trust God, but make sure the way that you are living at home is, is aligning with how a Christian should live. Yeah, and Pastor Lucas, she's used the word ambassador. Paul picks up on that word in 2 Corinthians 5.20, and he says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. Notice that language that Paul just said there. God is making his appeal through you as you share the gospel with your family members. And then Paul says this, we, and here's the word, implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That's strong language. Paul's saying, we beg you. We're pleading with you. We're imploring you. Be reconciled to God through Christ Jesus. And I think maybe for some of us, it's, okay, the, our family members know we're Christians and they, they see our lives and they see us go to church every Sunday, and they see us come to, to True North on Wednesday nights. It's Wednesday, yes? Thank you. Just keeping track of days. They see us come here, and they see us read our Bible, and, everything, and, and we feel like, okay, we've done our part. They, they've, they know the gospel, but guys, have you implored them? Have you pleaded with them? Have you begged with them? Have you said, like Pastor Lucas said, we don't want to see anyone go to hell? Have you, have you told your family members, look, I'm concerned that eternity is at stake for you, and I'm pleading with you and begging you, I'm asking you to, to be reconciled to God through Jesus? And what that looks like is repenting from your sin and putting your trust in Jesus as your Savior. Uh, going to close the deal. As, as Christians, we are gospel salesmen, and there's nothing to be ashamed of about that. Paul says we shouldn't use underhanded techniques, but you need to close the deal with the gospel when you present the gospel. You need to implore people, look, it's time to make a decision for Christ. Be reconciled to God tonight. So one of the popular responses to, to something like that would be, well, uh, you should not keep toxic people in your life. You got toxic masculinity and toxic relationships. So uh, whether they're family or friends or, or some other form of relationship, um, should Christians cut toxic people out of their lives? In what sense? Okay. Uh, that, that's all I have. Should, should you cut toxic people from your life? Maybe cut, cut them out as in I stop communicating. I stop pursuing a relationship with them. Uh, well, it depends on the toxic person, right? Who, who is that person? If it's you are a high school student, which you, you are, and you're living in, in home, and you say, well, my mom is toxic, <laughs> you can't cut her out of your life. 
<laughs> right? So, so keep, her, keep her in your life and continue to be a, a young man or a young woman in your home that is representing Christ uh, and preaching the gospel and living out the gospel by the way that you interact. Uh, you know, it, w- what God wants us to do is he, he wants us to surround ourselves with other Christians, to live in, in community with other Christians that are going to build us up, that are going to encourage us, that are going to challenge us, that are going to rebuke us when we, we go astray. Those are the people that God wants us to be in tight-knit relationship with. Those are the people that are our best friends. Those are the people that we would say we want to interact with all the time with. The other people that are in our life, it's not that we want to cut those people off, right? We, they might be toxic in, in a sense, those are people that need to get saved. And so if I have a gospel opportunities, I want to be in relationship with those people as an ambassador to share, share Christ with them, not just to hang out with them. And so if, I, if there's a toxic relationship that I'm just hanging out with people, yeah, cut, cut that off because that's not doing anything good for my sanctification. And if I'm not sharing the gospel with that person and praying for that person's soul, why am I in that relationship anyways? Right? So those are the, there are, are some relationships you, that you want to cut out and uh, stop hanging out with those people because they are just bringing you down. Uh, the, the people that you want to hang out with all the time are going to be, if you're a Christian, are other Christians that are going to build you up. Uh, but then also you got to be looking for those that are lost and saying, okay, how can I be an ambassador? How, how can I witness to these people out of uh, the love of Christ? And, and part of life, guys, is... is you have to learn how to live with toxic people and around toxic people. It's, it's going to be part and parcel of life. We live in a cancel culture where it's like, get rid of anything that I just don't like. And part of growing up is doing hard things and figuring out how do I, how do I coexist with somebody that isn't my favorite person to be around, but yet I have to work with this person or I have to don't read anything into pastor Rod or pastor Lucas being up with, with me with that statement. They're not toxic people. Um, but you, you have to push through those times and learn how. And that's just part of being a believer. And like Pastor Lucas said, your goal with that person shouldn't be to say, well, how can I get rid of them and get them out of my life as fast as possible? Your goal with that person should be, man, they need Christ. I mean, you think of Jesus and, you know, we, Pastor Lucas is, is dead on. Your closest friends should be believers. Your closest friends, let me reiterate what he said, need to be people that walk with Christ, that challenge you to grow more in your Christ-likeness, Okay. However, at the same time, Jesus was spending time with the, the sick, with the lost, right? Jesus said, I came to the, the sick because the sick are the ones that need a physician. The, the lost are the ones that need to be found. And so if you're just looking to hang out with people that think like you, act like you, like like you, and, and make you happy, that's, that's not necessarily what our target is as believers. That, that's pretty anti-great commission because the gospel is, is needed by those that don't think like us, that aren't like us, that don't believe like we do. Uh, and we're going to have to be around them at least for a period of time so that we can communicate the truth of the gospel to them and, again, implore them to be reconciled to God through Christ. It'd, it'd be interesting if you really self-evaluated and say, why am I friends with those who I'm friends with? Why do I hang out with the people that I hang out with? What are those reasons? And I would imagine a lot of the reasons is because it's the way that you make makes you feel. It's it's they're, they're fun people, they're kind to me. Right, we have a good time together, or we we have something in common. We play the same sports, and that they're, you know, it, it's a it's about you and the way that you you feel. 
what we want to do is we want to try to look through life in a lens of who does God want me to hang out with and why would he want me to hang out with these people? Right? You know, the same thing as we talk about dating relationships. Why would I want to date that person? Because of what I like about that person or how they make me feel or, you know, there's all these superficial reasons why we hang out with people rather than saying, I want to hang out with somebody who is godly. That is going to influence me to be more like Christ. I want to hang out with someone that needs to be influenced to be more like Christ. I want to hang out with somebody that needs to hear the gospel that I can share the gospel of Jesus Christ with. I, I mean, the lens that we think through things is so important and we are so often tempted just to, uh, from a superficial standpoint to say, whatever makes me feel good, rather than saying, why am I hanging out with the people that I am hanging out with? Is it that I'm really encouraged by these people to be more like Christ, that I'm going to encourage these people, or is it just because they make me feel good? So, toxic people. <laughs> well, on that note of relationships, now I have several questions related to this next category. Um, I want to steer the the ship into some some questions about homosexuality. This person says, uh, oh, I just just lost it. Hang on, here it is. Um, Why are Christians so against homosexuality? I know it says in the Bible that it's a sin, but most Christians are extremely homophobic and unloving to people who can't control their attractions. They treat homosexuality like it's the worst sin imaginable, but if some man in the church committed adultery, they would be much less upset. I think we need to be careful of... of Broad brushes. Um, yeah, there's, there are those out there that profess the name of Christ, like Westboro Baptist Church and, and others that uh, fall into that category that would say God hates all the gays and the, the pandemic is a result of homosexuality and he's punishing the country and he's punishing gay people and he wants them to die and go to hell. There are those people that we would distance ourselves from and say they're not practicing a biblical form of Christianity at all. And so I, I don't I think our culture has propped up this false narrative that the church is an unwelcoming place for anyone who battles homosexuality or even identifies as a homosexual when they walk onto campus. We've had people here and I've had people in my ministries walk onto the campus who have identified as somebody who's gay and said, look, I'm, I'm gay. And my response is to say, look, this is what the Bible says. And yes, the Bible does condemn homosexuality as a sin, just like it does adultery and these others. And we're going to tell them that. And we're going to be clear on that because we have to, because we need to warn people about their sin and we need to confront sin and call sin what it is and warn them of the dangers of sin. But then we're also at the same time going to say, hey, look, we love you and we're glad that you're here because this is the best place that you could be because you're going to hear truth. You just need to know what type of truth that you're going to hear. And you may not always agree with it and you may leave mad tonight, but you know what? We'd love for you to come back next week because you will always be welcome back here. So I I think there's a little bit of a false narrative that Christians are a bunch of people that as soon as somebody who's gay walks up, they're going to throw their holy water at them and, and throw up the cross and run away in the other direction. I haven't personally seen that, witnessed that, experienced that. And maybe some of you out there have. And if you've had that experience at the hands of a believer and this is something that you're battling and struggling with, I'm sorry that was your experience. I'm not going to apologize for God's word. God's word is still truth. And God's design is for a man and woman to be in a sexual relationship together as husband and wife, period, end of story. But there's grace for every sin. And there's the, the opportunity for every sin to be forgiven by the blood of Christ through the cross. And as Christians, that's what we need to be pointing people towards, uh, no matter where they're at in what they're, they're battling and what sin they're battling. 
Yeah, I, I mean, the way that the, the question was worded, uh, I don't think all Christians are homophobic, and I don't think Christians, all Christians look at homosexuality as a, as a worse sin than adultery. I mean, when we look at sin, we've got to understand sin from a categori- categorically standpoint, where, where sin is sin. All, all sin is the same in one sense, where sin is a separation from God, right? I, any sin puts you in a different camp than God. It separates you from God. And so all sin, whether it's saying we just made one lie, is something that God looks at and he hates and says, that, that's totally wrong. That separates you from me. Uh, that is punishable. That's worthy of my wrath. But then also we look at, at sin, and we could say there's categorically there's different kinds of, of sin. Uh, you look at the Old Testament, not all sin uh, had the same type of punishment. Right? And so the, the sin of, of lying right, versus the, the sin of adultery, it's different. Or when we look at Matthew 5 and we look at Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he says, if you hate someone in your heart, that's like murdering somebody. But Jesus would rather you hate somebody in your heart than take a gun out and shoot them, right? I mean, we're going to say those two things are different. But he says if you hate them, you've already murdered them in your heart. But still, categorically, there, there's going to be a different consequence for, for both of those sins. One, from an eternal standpoint, both of those sins would separate you from God. But there's going to be a greater judgment for the sin of, of murder versus the, the sin of hating somebody in your heart. Right? There's going to be a greater consequence. There's both eternity separated from God, but there's going to be a greater consequence there. And when we look at homosexuality, I think one of the reasons why we want to say this is, is something that's bad, right? As a sin, categorically it's bad, is because homosexuality is not just a transgression, like adultery is a transgression. And I shouldn't say just a transgression. Adultery is a transgression. It's, it, it's saying that marriage, in marriage, God created sex to be good within the confines of marriage. Adultery is when now, now that sexual relationship happens outside and this marriage covenant is broken and it's still happening between a male and a female. I guess in the normal sense, I guess adultery could happen from a homosexual standpoint as well. However, when we look at homosexuality, it's a perversion. It's something that God created to be good and not just saying, I'm going to take it out of the confines of what is good, which is in marriage, but now it's distorting it between uh, what's supposed to be between a man and a woman to be a man and a man or a woman and a woman. And so we'd say to a greater degree on the spectrum, right, it is a worse sin than, than adultery, right, uh, because it's a perversion of the God's created order. Is adultery bad? Absolutely. Is homosexually bad? Yeah, it's, it's bad. Is lying bad? It's all bad. And what Pastor PJ goes back to is, I don't care if you committed adultery and you come into my counseling office. I don't care if you're a homosexual and you come into my counseling office. I don't care if you uh, have committed theft. We, what we want to see is all these people can be redeemed. God loves his creation. And it doesn't matter what your sin is, your sin issue is, God sent his son, Jesus, to live and die for you so you can be redeemed and reconciled to God. And so if someone's in my office, it doesn't matter, right, if they committed adultery or homosexuality, what they need is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's the way that Christians should look at these people, right? Uh, Whatever their sin issue is, we all have sin issues. We all need, we are all people that need Jesus, 
And uh, that's the way that we should, should love people and care for people. We could run the risk, too, of making our relationship with somebody all, ab- all about their sin. Because here's the reality, guys. If somebody who is gay, if you convince them now to no longer be gay, and you convince them that being gay is wrong, and you convince them to be straight, and you never get to the gospel, they're no better off. Eternally. They're still bound for hell. You have to get to the gospel. And it's, it's this issue, it's evolution versus creationism, it's, it's all of these things. Does, is the Bible clear on these matters? Yes. Should we teach what the Bible says on these matters? Yes. But to care for a person's soul is to get them to say, okay, yeah, here's the sin, now let's go to the cross. Let's go to the gospel. This is where we need to camp out because this is where your hope is. One thing the, the questioner put in there that I'd like for you guys just to quickly touch on is the underlying assumption that for the adulterer, like, he or she has a choice. But for the person who struggles with homosexual desires, that's just what they have. Um, thoughts about that? They have homosexual desires. They can't control that. Well, I, again, there's a, a difference between having homosexual desires and acting upon those homosexual desires. There's a difference between the desire to commit adultery and committing adultery, Right? And we can say, well, I don't have a choice about the desires to whether to be faithful to my wife or not, right? I, 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 don't, I don't have the choice about that. They're just my desires. Uh, but really, God calls us to control our desires and to say no to our desires. Uh, so, yeah, if you're in a marriage, right, and you're, you're struggling with the thoughts of faithfulness, we're going to counsel people biblically, okay, what do we need to do? We need to think about things that are true and lovely and pure, we need to try to align our, our minds around that and to get our thoughts to think about our spouse the, the right way and to have our mind focus on our spouse, not on somebody else. And the same way with someone who's struggling with homosexual desires is, okay, I want to get my mind to think about on things that are pure and lovely and true, right? And, and to fight those desires, right? And we say, well, I, I, don't, have, I don't have the choice. These desires are coming in. okay but you have the choice whether or not you're going to fight those desires or you're just going to embrace those desires. You have the choice of whether you're going to respond and act on those desires or not act on those desires. Uh, so, Yeah, and on that note too, I think the implication or maybe the follow-up then is, well, but that's not fair then. If that's what my natural desires are and now you're telling me that I can't act on those. And I'm going to say, yes, you're right. None of you are guaranteed sexual satisfaction in this earth. That's not anywhere written into to our created order, design, or purpose. Your created order, design, and purpose is to glorify God. And when we buy into this lie that our culture has created, that it's all about sex, which is increasingly what the, the culture is is trumpeting, and now all of a sudden it's like, well, wait a minute, but you're telling me I can't be satisfied because my desires are inherently sinful and so I can't act on those, so I just have to be single for the rest of my life? Yes, and if you are single for the rest of your life and pursue God, it's going to be so worth it when you're in heaven with, with him. And it's not going to seem like this is, is even a, a blip on your radar here. But none of us are, you have no right to marriage. You have no right to sexual satisfaction in your life. These are not things that you are somehow, somehow like written into your code that I deserve this, it's mine, and I have to have it. Look, there are going to be some things that we have to give up as Christians in this world that the, the other people in the world don't have to give up. And it's a trade that we're making uh, out of faith, as the writer of Hebrews says, in a conviction of things not yet seen, things hoped for, that are going to be way better than sinning against God and pursuing our desires here on this earth.
quick follow-up on this. You guys, uh, Pastor Lucas, you were kind of already touched on this, but um, this person says, I'm a Christian and I struggle with homosexual desires. I obviously want to get rid of them, but I'm not sure exactly how to go about that. So you touched on some of that. You're, de- you're denying those desires. Is there anything else you guys want to add to that to answer this person? Well, I, I think there's a point where someone might recognize that I do not want these desires and they they pray and they ask God to take away the desires and the desires are not taken away immediately and now they lose heart and they, they give up. Uh, so my point is, uh, what I would say is you got to continue to be faithful to the Lord and recognize that maybe these desires are not something that can just be taken away. There are times where you talk to people about their testimony when they, they come to Christ. As it says in 2 Corinthians 5, that you are a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, the new has come. Right? It, that's an amazing thing, that you are a new creation in Christ. And some people, when they become a new creation in Christ, whatever their, their big sin issues were, whether it's the way that they talk or you know, their sexual orientation or uh, you know, whatever's going on, it's immediately taken away. And other people, they come, come to Christ, and it's this constant battle. And they're saying, why? Why did that person, and they don't struggle with that anymore, but I still struggle with it. And the answer is, I don't know why. I, I don't. But I do believe that God is sovereign. I do believe that if you are a Christian, he has empowered you with the Holy Spirit. Uh, that he is, through his divine power, he's given you everything that you need for life and godliness. And for whatever reason, this is God's plan for you to fight. And you can bring God glory by the way that you fight. And maybe even more glory by the way that you fight and say no to your desires than the Christian who doesn't have that desires and doesn't have to fight for holiness in that category. Can you see this as an opportunity for you to bring even more glory to God by your faithfulness to him? And so there's encouragement when you have the fight to fight. You know, it's like, okay, you got the opportunity to get in the ring. Well, give God glory in the ring. Some people don't get the opportunity like that. So take hold of every opportunity that you have to, to fight for the Lord and to honor him. And at the same time, also, don't fight alone. I mean, find whether that's a small group leader, Pastor Rod, one of our other pastors, getting counseling, getting help, brothers in Christ, sisters in Christ bring people that are not, not everybody. I mean, you don't have to broadcast this in front of everybody if you don't, if that's not what you want to do, but, but find two or three people that can pray for you, that can fight alongside you, that can labor with you for your sanctification and your holiness because they love you and they care about you. Um, this is not something that you have to hide and be ashamed of and, and, and hide away, especially if this is something that you're wanting. If, if somebody came to me and said, Hey, I, I'm super tempted to key Pastor Rod's car every time I see it because it's just so shiny. Please he keeps don't. it clean all the time. Please and it's don't. just confession. Right. Then I'm going to look at him and be like, okay, well, that's a sinful desire, but let's fight that together. I'm not going to be like, dude, you are a loser. Get out of here. I never want to see you again. I may offer to go help um, key the car. I've never had that thought, by the way. Uh, thank you for clarifying. You're welcome. I was You're concerned. a liar because you just came up with the example. How did you not have that thought? I've never had the thought that I should be the one that goes to do that, but oh, I've planted someone that else. thought. Yeah. Okay, thank Planting you. The thought. Thanks okay. for giving me the heads up on that. Yeah. Okay, so let me turn Sweet the direction God. toward the person on the other end who's, uh, who struggles with homosexuality or even just transgender. I'm, I'm, I'm going to read two questions to you that are related, um, but let me just combine these real quick. Um, how do I love someone who is transgender or gay without showing my support of their sin? And 
Should we call a trans person by their preferred pronoun? They, them, theirs, or he, she, obviously, those uh, different pronoun questions. So how do we love them without showing support of their sin? And should we use their preferred pronouns? No. No, I would not use their preferred pronouns uh, because I want to I deal in the world of reality of what is true. And so if he, who thinks he's a she, wants me to call him or her, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to do that. If I'm confused and I think him is a her, then I might accidentally call he or she. Um, Can I ask a clarifying question? I'm sure. confused. If, if I'm in the classroom, <laughs> if I'm in the classroom and the teacher says, okay, guys, this is John, he's now Jane, and you're sitting next to Jane, and you want to refer to Jane, do you not, do you say she? Do you just use the name that he has as Jane? Would you feel okay with that, or would that still be problematic? I think if I'm in a classroom, I, I mean... I want to have an integrity with how I operate and how I communicate. Um, and so I think in a situation like, like that, either I'm going to communicate with what is true or I'm going to choose not to communicate. So I'm not going to call John Jan if, if Jan is John. I, I, I'm not going to do it. Um, I just might not. I just might not talk to John or Jan in that setting. So, that's my personal take on that. Pastor, this PJ. has been the most confusing question and answer. <laughs> Were you not following? No. You're at one tracking? point, though, John was Jane, and then John became Jan, <laughs> and he was she, and she was he. I was totally tracking. But this is the world that we live in, and this is the chaos that we live in. And let me just encourage you: do whatever is with integrity, as Pastor Lucas was saying here. But again, make a beeline for the gospel. That's, your, that's why God has brought you into this person's life, um, is to get to the gospel. And so the, I guess the first half of that question, how can I be friends with somebody who's transgender or homosexual and not condone their sin? You're upfront and honest with them. You know, hey, look, I'm a Christian, and I don't know what you've heard about Christians. I don't know what you've heard Christians believe. I'd love to answer any questions that you have about Christianity. Well, does Christianity teach that homosexuality is a sin? Yeah, it does. It does. But you know what? Let me, let me walk through why, and let me also talk to you about something that's even more significant and important to that, and, and that is the fact that we're all sinful, and we all need Christ, and, and we need to talk about the most important thing that we need to do business about, and that's the gospel. Um, and so let's talk about Christ. Let's talk about Jesus. And that's what's going to change and, and transform them. Um, and that's where we need to get um, as fast as we can. But yeah, you have to tap, tap dance around this. And I think Pastor Lucas is right. Sometimes that may be like, okay, well, I'm just not going to talk to John Jan um, during class. I'm just not going to do that. That's not the context that I'm going to try to engage them. But I think the important thing is so often we want to look at the hard questions, say, okay, what do we do with a homosexual? What do we do with a transgender? What do we do when we're, we're labeling these people? And, and really, the only labels that I really want to deal with are the labels that God gives people. And two specific labels are those that are, are sons of God and those that are sons of the devil, right? Those that are following Christ, those that are rebelling against Christ, so those that are saved, those that are not saved. 
right? That's the category that I want to think in. I don't, I don't care if the person is a homosexual or a transgender person. It, it, it doesn't matter to me. It's a, it's a person. It's a soul that has the eternal destiny. And where is that person going to be ultimately for all of eternity? Are they going to be with Christ or apart from Christ? That's the way I want to think about people. Right? Yeah, I want to have integrity by the way that I call people, whatever their pronouns are. But really, I, I care about that person, that soul, where that person is going to end up. And so I, I love what Pastor PJ says. Is the, the, real, the point is I want to beeline to the gospel. I, I care about how am I going to interact with that person and try to communicate the love of Christ to them, why Christ came to live and die for that person. And they might reject it, and they might hate it, and they might want to talk about something else, but that's, that's what I want to talk about in the conversation. Not because that's what I want to talk about. It's not about me, but because that's what Christ compels me to talk about, what he commands me to talk about. And so as much as we want to, from the world standpoint, of have all these different identities or labeling for people of who they are and their preferred pronoun or you know, whatever they want to be, right? They're, they're people that are headed towards eternity with Christ or eternity apart from Christ. And let's try to think of people in that category. Excellent. Thank you, Ben. Okay, I want to uh, shift gears for a second and do a lightning round. I have a lot of questions here that are kind of just one-off, uh, you know, oddball questions that really have no connecting to anything else. So answer briefly as you will, okay? You ready for this? You're not ready. Ready. You're ready. Master PJ. Are you still cold? I am. Yeah. <laughs> We've got these hand warmer things, but it's like this cruel, like if I put it in my pocket, then it, they get 160 degrees and my, I'm They're burning alive inside, but then hot. I pull it out and then I get cold. So I actually just... want to put it in my shoe. Yeah. <laughs> can my you guys tell I'm shivering? Freezing. Can you see me? I'm actually shivering up here. Here, you can have one of these. No, that's okay. I'm, I'm okay. cool. I'm a man. Dude. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> PJ, are you... What are you implying, Pastor Ron? Oh, nothing. What are you implying, <laughs> Pastor Ron? Hey, look, I can't grow a mustache, so maybe it's a little bit of jealousy. Hey, well, either can Pastor PJ. So. <laughs> that burden was so hot, I'm actually warm again. Wow, that felt good. <laughs> wow. So lightning round. <laughs> lightning round. Okay. Their questions, some of them I can't say I fully understand, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. Be brief in your answers. First question. How do you make babies biblically? Ask your mom and dad. Intercourse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Between, Between a man, man and, and a woman. woman. <laughs> yeah. In unison, too. Well done, guys. Wow. Yeah. When is God coming? Soon. Yes. When he sees fit. Okay. Is this quick enough? Yeah, that's great. Is speeding a sin? Yes. Yes. Is it ever not a sin? Yes. Yes. <laughs> how is your relationship with God with God oh uh, let me see how is your relationship with God and how can I achieve a stronger faith in him I'm not quite sure about the first part but maybe the second part be brief how can I achieve a stronger relationship with God church Bible and prayer invest in those three things consistently and that will grow your relationship with Christ Pastor Lucas you can't answer they've already applauded they're ready yeah. to move on would you, would you say that order, though? <laughs> Pastor Lucas, here's a follow-up question. How do you deal with anxiety, since you're the, the biblical counselor, trainer? Pray. Philippians 4, 6. 
What should we do against false media and news narratives? How should we respond to that? It's probably a better way to, how should we respond to the news? Ignore it. Yeah, don't waste your time, guys. Please don't waste your time. This goes back to what we've, this theme that we've hit on over and over and over again. You are here on mission from God and it has nothing to do with Fox News, CNN, or any of that. It has to do with making disciples of Christ. Be consumed with that. Let your parents freak out about the news, okay? No. You guys love Jesus. <laughs> Let your parents? <laughs> this is being live streamed too, by the way. I mean, <laughs> look, I deal with them after they're in college and out, out of the home, so it's a different, uh, different scenario. Where do high school students get their news from? You said CNN and Fox News. Is, is it? Instagram? What do you guys say? The Donald.me. TikTok. TikTok. The tweets. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, Why did Pastor Lucas attack Evan at Revival 19? Instinct. Um, okay, related to the last question, but I think this one warrants uh, being asked specifically. How should we respond with voting fraud news and hiding the truth of a rigged election? Read Daniel. I mean, I'm getting ready to start preaching Daniel with the bridge. And honestly, guys, I mean, read Habakkuk. Read the prophets. Guys, spend time in the Old Testament prophets and look at the world that they lived in and how it was upside down. They didn't know what, which way was up. And they had cruel and ungodly leaders and yet their focus was, how can I glorify the Lord and remain faithful and obedient to him? Read Daniel 1 and 2. Just read Daniel 1. And you've got these, these teenagers that are in your life stage, ripped from home, brought into Babylon, dropped in the midst of this godless culture. And they've got this king that's over them and saying, why don't you sit at my table and eat my food that's been sacrificed to idols and, and come be a part of us and learn our culture and learn our ways and think that everything's great here. And they said, no, we're going to follow God. We're going to obey God and resolve to follow God. Guys, I don't know what any of that stuff, what went down in any of that stuff. But I do know what God wants me to do today and what he wants you to do today. And he wants you to follow him. Is this lightning round? This is still lightning round. Sorry, soapbox, man. That one hit. Talking to preachers, so I guess I expect some of this. Still lightning round. Um, Is masturbation a sin? And if so, how do you stop? Yes. Yes. Just stop. (laughs) <laughs> how do you stop stop it, <laughs> stop it. <laughs> yeah. I had somebody in college told me God kills a kitten every time <laughs> is that, with that, so that's is, is that cats. helping or hurting yeah, do you want to encourage this what are you trying to do here Pastor PJ I, again I, I think in masturbation that's a good question I think in, in a sense because it goes back to so much what we've been talking about. The reason why people masturbate is for self-pleasure because it's about me. It's about what I want and my fulfillment when, it, when I want it. I, and that is totally opposed to what God calls us to. It's not about us. It's not about what we want and when we want it. It's about God and being faithful to God and following God's good plan and his design to be fulfilled sexually in the context and the confines of what God has created, which is in marriage. And something that we do in, 
in premarital counseling, when we talk about sex, uh, we talk about sex is not for you. Sex is for your spouse. Your job in sex is to fulfill your spouse, not for your fulfillment, right? The way God created it is that you can be fulfilled at the same time, but your, your job is to think about how do I fulfill my spouse's sexual desire in marriage? And so when we, when we look at masturbation, it's about me fulfilling my desires when, when I want, and that goes against what God has for us from a sexual created beings. Is this still the lightning round? <laughs> Soapbox. <laughs> Realize I'm giving this to preachers. Okay, here's another one. Does every Bible study need to have application? Yes. Does every Bible study? Every Bible study need to have application. Maybe you could apply that to services, sermons, but this, it says Bible study here. Yes. I, I mean, the point is to be doers of God's word. Right, and so we want to think of it just not growing in the knowledge of God, but living out the, the Word of God in our lives. So, we want to when we read, when I read the Bible, I, I want to pray, God, how do you want to change me by Your Word? And so, help me to live it out by the way that I think, by the way that I talk, or the things that I do. How can you tell the voice of God from your voice or the devil's voice? Are you reading the Bible? <laughs> Nate Pickowitz, I think, was the first one to say, you want to hear God's voice, read your Bible out loud. Yeah, I, we got to be careful with this. I, no, I think the writer of Proverbs puts it well. There's wisdom and an abundance of counselors. I, I think, you know, going to people that you trust who are godly people in your lives and saying, hey, I feel like sometimes the way we say this is I feel like God might be leading me to do this or telling me to do this. Lay it out with them. And he, the reality is God's never going to call you to do something that's not in line with Scripture, that's not part of obeying his word. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the way that I, I often say it, the Word of God, or the Spirit of God never disagrees with the Word of God, right? And you're saying, I'm led by the Spirit, or God wants me to do this, the Spirit wants me to do that. Well, how do I know it's the Spirit? Well, if it agrees with the Word of God. If it doesn't agree with the Word of God, then I know it's not the Spirit of God. I know it's not God's voice. And if I can't specifically find it in there as a, a sin of omission or, or commission of something I'm, I'm not supposed to do or something that... I, I should do that I'm not doing, then maybe I, I don't know. But I do know that God wants me to do something. It's his voice, right, if it agrees with God's word. And I know that it's not if it doesn't. Did God plan the fall? Yes. 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 Follow up. Oh, man. Oh, what is Thank you. They're manly. Thanks they for giving manly. me the most feminine color. <laughs> Appreciate that. I don't even have a mustache, Abby. What are, what are these? Are these astronaut blankets? They feel like it. I don't know, but this is warm. I'm digging this. Oh, this is so nice. Okay. Follow-up question. If God planned the fall, does that make him the author of sin? Pastor PJ. <laughs> okay, let me, let me zoom out. God does everything for what purpose? His glory, right? God created this world. When he said, let there be light, from the very word go of creation, he was after his glory. The fall is a part of his glory. Because through the fall, though sin enters the world and we are separated from God by our sin, 
we are now driven to the cross as the only place that we can turn for hopes and reconciliation to God. And so in that, he's even glorifying himself because he's, uh, through allowing sin to enter into the world, he's paving the way for the cross. And, and in Acts chapter 2, verse 22, it says that, uh, that Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, right? That, that God authored all of the events of world history to lead to the point where Judas would betray Christ, where Christ would be arrested, where Christ would be falsely tried, where Christ would be flogged, beaten, abused, spat upon, nailed to a cross, crucified, killed, executed, to rise from the dead three days later so that you and I can sit here 2,000 years later, hear the gospel, and say the only place that I can turn for the forgiveness of my sins is Jesus Christ. To God be the glory through Christ alone. So it's, it's all about the glory of God, and he's leading us to the cross in that. And then now, on the backside of the cross, he's leading us towards eternity with him, where we will be free from the presence of sin, because we're already free from the power and penalty of sin. We will be free from the presence of sin, where we will be able to glorify him forever and ever and ever and ever. So the cross was in view from the moment that he created the world, and the reason why is for his glory. Is he the author of evil? No, but he's the author of his glory, and evil has a role in that. Amen, Pastor Lucas? I'll accept that. (laughs) That one was up to snuff. Okay. Um, How can we as high school students learn and practice how to be better participants within the church, church at large, CBC, bigger church, the whole thing, everybody? Being an HCP, right? HCP. Which is, yeah. Participant. I, I, I guess I would just say look for opportunities. Right? I mean, you, you have uh, multiple different opportunities where you can, can jump in and to, to serve. Um, there are so many different kids in uh, elementary school that you could serve in our, our kids' ministry, and you can help teach them God's Word. You can help on the weekend serve donuts and coffee to people. There's things that you can do to, to help set up or tear things down. There's, I mean, multiple different ways to serve. And I just say jump in and, and look for those opportunities. Okay, lightning round. I think I'm landing the plane for now. I think I got a lot of the one-offs. Uh, this next section of questions uh, relate to knowing that you're right with God. Um, this first one actually is, is kind of prefaced into that. This person says, I'm scared I won't go to heaven. How do I know that God is real? And I suppose that what they're ultimately getting to is how do I know that my relationship with God is real? Um, this person says, how do I know that I'm really a Christian? Um, this other person asks, uh, I lost the question, but essentially, how do I know I'm right with God? I, I have doubts. I sin. I feel guilty. Um, our preaching is about, you know, following the word of God, and I don't do that. Um, there's a lot of questions related to that topic. So uh, help the stumbling believer, or maybe unbeliever, who's just self-aware. What, do you, what kind of direction might you give them? First John is a a go-to book for this question because it was written that you might know that you have eternal life. And so it lays out different paradigms or things to think through. Am am I really a Christian? How can I be sure of salvation? Christianity is is one of, you know, I guess the only religion that, that I know of uh, where you can be sure of salvation. All these other religions, it's like, I, I don't know if I can be sure because all these other religions are based on you. Christianity is not based on you to be saved. It's based on Christ. 
and what Christ has done. And so you can be sure of your salvation if you are trusting in what Jesus has done for you in Jesus alone, his life, death, and resurrection. And you can be sure that you're trusting in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection by seeing your life transform and becoming more like Christ. And so people get all caught up with their sin because, well, I thought I was a Christian. I'm not supposed to sin anymore. I'm supposed to live this righteous life. And now I, I, I committed the same kind of sin that I did before I was Christian. How can I be saved? And they fall into this point of despair and, and feel like I, I'm just not saved. And then I would go back to the point, well, do you trust that Jesus lived a life for you, a perfect life for you, and then he died and paid the penalty for your sin? And you trust that he rose again and that he defeated death on the cross and, and rose from the grave. And you're trusting in that. And you trust that the sin that you have committed, that you hate your sin, that you really repent of it, that you don't just have this worldly grief, as it says in Second Corinthians 7, but a, a godly sorrow, that you, you hate it to a point where it's like, I never want to do that again. And that you're committed to moving forward in your life to say, I, I'm going to reject what is false and evil and say, I'm going to continue to seek to live for what is good and for what is righteous. And if you're responding to sin in your life that way, which is different than the way that you would respond before you're a Christian, where you really hate your sin and you're saying, I want to sin less of a degree and less often. If you see that in your life, I'm sinning less in the significance of that sin and less frequently, then you say, okay, I'm becoming more like Christ. I'm on the road of sanctification. That should give you hope and encourage you that you are saved. Yeah, I think First John is helpful too because I love what First John does with our obedience because John connects our obedience to our love for Jesus. He says, if you love him, you're going to obey him. You're going to know you love him by obeying him. I think when we fall into the trap of discouragement is when we're trying to measure up. We're trying to prove that God made a good investment in us by being a good enough Christian. Your obedience should be fueled by a love for Jesus. And I love the way one of my favorite preachers puts it, not Pastor Mike, but a, a second favorite preacher under him, when he says, I want to fill my life with things that stir my affections for Christ. Um, and he talks about different things that stir his affection for Christ, whether it's, uh, you know, his, his quiet time, his Bible study, where, where he spends that time. He looks at that and he can't wait to get there in the morning. Or it's a, it's a worship song that he loves to listen to that's just got deep truths that just his, he can resonate with. And it sets his mind on the things of Christ or uh, even a, a good cup of coffee, as Pastor Mark might say, right? That, that stirs his affection for Christ because he's like, God, thank you for creating this and creating my ability to enjoy it and talk like a fancy person about it. Um, those things, that, that fill your life with those things that are going to drive you to Jesus. Paul puts it this way in Colossians chapter 3, which is better than even this pastor put it, when he says, look, if you've been raised with Christ, what does he say? He says, keep seeking the things that are above where Christ is. Is your affection there? Do you love Jesus? Do you want Jesus? Do you want to be with him? Do you want more of him in your life? Um, that is going to fuel the life transformation that you're looking for. And I think a lot of times we look for the life transformation devoid of the relationship uh, that has to fuel that life transformation. If I have uh, close friends, parents, other people that say that I'm not a Christian, but I've been through Partners Chapter 1. I've talked with some people that can confirm that there's something there. How do I deal with competing voices? Some will say, yes, I see fruit. Others will say, no, I'm not convinced. 
really it doesn't matter what others are saying, right? It matters what, what God has said. Uh, and the competing voices that, that we all have, and whether it's salvation or other things, we got to go back to, well, what does Scripture say? So we can say that there's wisdom in the abundance of counselors, but if my counselors are a bunch of people that are not following Christ or Scripture, there, there is no wisdom there. And so when we talk about godly wisdom, it's people that love the Lord, that love the Word, that are speaking the Word of God into our life. That's where wisdom comes from, the Word of God. And so whether it's you, your parents or whether it's friends or whoever it is, is what they're speaking to you of why they think that you're not a Christian doesn't match the Word of God, right? And that's what you need to evaluate. You know, it's not like, who do I listen to? Do I listen to my friends or my parents here? No, you listen to what God's Word says. And are your parents speaking truth to you that correlates, aligns with God's Word? Or your friends, right? Uh, and so it's, it's not who it is, it's, it's what they're aligning with and what, what is true, which is Scripture. Um, okay, this person writes, uh, if, and this is unrelated, sorry, so I'm going to turn this, turn the ship a little bit. If someone had a sex chain surgery and then got saved, should they then have surgery again and go back to their God-given gender? Pastor PJ. <laughs> I'm going to say a qualified yes, simply because I think at the end of the day, if, if, if I'm that person, I don't know that I'm ever going to be able to continue to live in that identity that I've chosen that's a rejection of the, the created identity that I have in Christ and in, in, in God. And so I don't know to the extent of everything that would be involved in that. I know there's surgery, there's hormones, there's all kinds of things like that. I'd say to the extent that you can undo the, the sinful decision that you've made, you should pursue undoing that. And certainly in your identity, you should pursue the identity of the, the, the created person that you are as you came out of your mother's womb, the gender that God designed you to be and knit you together to be in your mother's womb. That's who you are. Um, and so I would say that qualified yes, uh, the qualification being that that's, there's a big what does that actually look like kind of element to that? Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's a good point that you want to try to un undo whatever wrong choices, sinful choices that you have done and, and to make those things right. And the reality is you might be limited on, on what you're able to do. And so it's going to be a, I mean, that those situations are going to be a, a unique situation and to be able to try to walk carefully uh, through that circumstance with that person. Excellent. Then, okay, I have several questions that are biblically based. Uh, they're Bible questions, and some of them can take a long time. Some of them I think you can answer pretty quickly. So I'll let you guys decide how, how far you want to go with these, but there's a ton of them. Uh, so I'm going to go through them, and hopefully we'll get to every single person's question. Starting with uh, an easy one, Genesis 3.15. Uh, he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Quote, is this verse an accurate representation of the total overall suffering of Jesus to the total overall suffering of the devil? 
Yeah, I think the point there is one's a death blow and one's not. And it's, I think we can get hung up on even the, the, the word in, in Hebrew there. It can mean bruise. It can mean crush. Um, what do we do with that? I, I think the point there that God was communicating is the, the blow of the serpent to the seed of the woman is not as significant as the ultimate final blow of the seed of the woman to the serpent. And that's the hope of the victory that we will see in Christ. Yeah, and I think to, to Pastor Peter's point, it's not talking about necessarily the suffering, but it's talking about Christ being victorious, right? It's talking about the, the victory that Christ has despite the affliction that he goes through. And so the, Christ being victorious over death and Satan. Uh, we're, we, we're reading through Genesis right now if you're doing the DBR, so this comes on the heels of that. In Genesis, how can there be light and darkness before God created the sun and the moon? Also, in Genesis 1.14, God says, and let, the, let them, the sun and the stars, be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. Does this verse affirm zodiac signs because the sun and stars are said here to have, no? Okay. I guess that question's answered. Next question. Just kidding. <laughs> light before, light before uh, God creates the sun and the moon. Yeah, God doesn't need a sun to create light. Uh, God's the creator of all things. And so God is not dependent upon a, the sun to give off light before light existed. Uh, just as we believe that God created a literal seven-day, six-day creation, uh, and he created things with the, age, or with the appearance of age, and so there are some people that say, no, it has to be so many millions or billions of, of years because it would have taken so many millions of, of years for certain lights from certain stars for us to actually see those. And so uh, how would that be? And no, God created, he created light that was there apart from the, the sun. And the same thing that we see actually in Revelation that in, on the new, new earth, it says that there is going to be no sun, but Christ is going to be the light. He's going to be the sun. So our, our, what we think of is, well, where does light come from? It comes from the sun, right? Well, that's the way that God created it, where the, the sun is, is giving off, off light. But that's not necessarily what God needs for light. He, he creates light, and he can create it in different ways. And on the new earth, we, we don't need a sun for, for light. Christ is going to be the light. I think there's a, a sense of, so in, in Greek, the word doxa is the word for glory. Well, the word doxa also means brilliance or light. And even when you go back into the Old Testament, you have Moses going up on Mount Sinai to get the Ten Commandments. And Moses comes down from Mount Sinai and the people are put off by Moses. And why are they put off by Moses? What's up with Moses? What's going on with his face? It's what? It's glowing. Well, what was happening on Mount Sinai? You guys remember the storm clouds had gathered over. It wasn't like it was a bright, brilliant, sunny Southern California day. And no, Moses came down with a nice tan on his face. No. He was glowing because he had been in the presence of the glory of God. Well, at creation, God's present with his creation in the fullness of his glory. And so his glory is giving light. And as Pastor Lucas said, in the new creation, it says, look, there's, there's no sun nor moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light. So uh, the sun is simply a, 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 a metaphor, a, a symbol of what God is ultimately going to provide for us, and that is the, the light that we will walk by in the new heavens and new earth. And that was the light that was there at the, the dawn of creation, too. 
What's a biblical perspective on war? People talk about just war. Um, I think it's something that we need to be careful on, but I think we can glean some principles in Scripture, even in Proverbs chapter 3, when Solomon says, Do not say to your neighbor, Go and come again tomorrow, and I will give it to you when you have it with you. Do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. Um, it's, it's that concept of, of upholding justice, upholding what is right, doing what is right, coming to the aid of those who are oppressed when it's in your power to be able to do so. But anytime you enter into that equation, you have to be sure that it is uh, a fight for the justice that God defines and not the justice that man defines. And that's what's hard for us. And that's what's, what's tricky for us. So I think there is a, an occasion for just war, but I think we have to measure that based on scripture and not based on politics or based on preference or anything like that. How is Jesus from the line of David if Mary was a virgin and Joseph was the one who was from that line? Well, Mary and Joseph were both from the line of David. And so you got these biblical genealogies in, in the gospel and in, in Matthew and in Luke that follows different lines. So from Joseph and, and the line of Mary, uh, they're both from the line of David. Yeah, Matthew 1 and, and Luke chapter 3. Um, if you look in there, Luke chapter 3, it says, Je Jesus was the son of Joseph, as was supposed, the son of Heli, H-E-L-I. Well, if you look at Matthew's gospel, Joseph has a different dad. So that's why we look at Luke's gospel in Luke chapter 3, and we believe that this is actually the genealogy of Mary and not the genealogy of Joseph there. But Pastor Lucas is right. Yeah, they're both tracing back to the line of David. Uh, and what's cool is even from a, a Jewish perspective, a legal perspective, because Jesus was adopted by Joseph as the adopted son of Joseph, he has a right to David's throne even there um, because he's uh, the, the legal right of Joseph as his adopted father, even in that context. But yes, Mary also descends from the line of Joseph or David. Yeah. How did Noah, who we just read about, know how to do an offering if God first gave the rules for the offerings to Abraham? Okay, a little bit of confusion there. Well, how did Noah know to give an offering to God? It wasn't until Moses that God gave the parameters for that, but Noah seemed to have an intuitive knowledge that he needed to give an offering. Well, yeah, I think when, when we look at Scripture, too, to realize when we look at different genres of Scripture, uh, and especially uh, when we look at the, the Pentateuch, the narrative, God communicating to us, uh, certain things. It doesn't mean that he communicated everything that he communicated to Noah. Uh, so there are different things where if Noah is, is making a sacrifice, um, you know, we don't have all the information there. Uh, so whether he intuitively know, knew or whether uh, God communicated somehow beforehand, I mean, people were making these sacrifices to God we, uh, be, before, um, you know, you have Melchizedek uh, coming along, and so there's other people that are worship, worshiping God, and so what kind of sacrifices were being made? We, we just don't have all the information. Is there any biblical evidence for amillennialism? 
Yeah, there's also bi- biblical evidence for free will. It doesn't mean that we should embrace it, right? The, uh, the, the evidence that's out there for amillennialism, you can read those things, but at the end of the day, I think the evidence that's, that's stronger is the evidence for premillennialism. I think it's when we look at the end of the book of Revelation, when we look at Revelation what, what, chapter what 20. What is all mill? Pastor PJ. Amil is there is no literal thousand year reign of Christ on earth, that it's metaphorically happening right now, that we are in the millennial kingdom right now as we sit here. It's a metaphorical reign. Jesus is reigning in our hearts spiritually. The problem with that is when we read Revelation chapter 20, I think it's six or seven times in five verses, you read a thousand years, a thousand years, a thousand years, a thousand years, and you see that there's a literal thousand year reign of Christ on earth that's described there, that we have a huge hurdle to try to clear by getting there. So yeah, R.C. Sproul was a, an amillennialist, um, brilliant ma- man. And if I sat down with him, I'd probably walk away stumped. But at the same time, I think as I read the Bible, I see more evidence for premillennialism than I do for amillennialism. So all, all Mill is believing that this thousand year reign that it talks about in Revelation is not literal, right? And so the pre-mill position is saying, we believe that there's actually a literal thousand year reign where Christ is going to come back and he is going to rule on this earth before he puts a, a final end and destruction to, to Satan and, and throws him in the eternal abyss. All right, for the sake of time, I'm going to uh, finish that question. I want to ask two more questions. Um, one of them, the more serious, and the, the last one, something easy I think you guys will you'll do just fine with. Because um, we haven't done fine with any of these other ones. <laughs> right. Finish strong is what I mean. Yeah. This is an easy one to knock out of the ballpark is, is what I'm saying. You'll, you'll see when I, when I bring it up. But here's one that I, I think you already touched on, Pastor PJ, but it, I see it on my list here, so I'm going to throw it at you. How can both free will and predestination exist since they're mutually exclusive? The Bible teaches two things, and it teaches two things very clearly, that man is 100% responsible for God for the decisions that he makes, and that God is 100% sovereign over all of those decisions. So those things seem contradictory in our minds, and yet when we read the Bible, we see that both are taught. Um, Pastor Lucas. <laughs> so, you guys don't know the history behind this question with the three of us because we have gone back and forth in Pastor Lucas's office for I don't know hours. Hours. hours I didn't plant this. this question. This wasn't me. Right. I'm just the moderator. I right. just read the questions. Right. So. God's, God's sovereignty overall is, does not, in my opinion, uh, mutually exclude man's free will. Just because God is in charge overall and is sovereign overall doesn't mean that man does, does not have the ability to make choices. Amen. But those choices have nothing to do with the outcome of God's sovereign plan. No, it's, amen. It's just that man's choices is dependent upon God who has free will. And God's free, our free will is subject to God. And the way that I like to, to put this is with my kids, right? My kids have free will, okay? They can say, I, I want to come to church or I don't want to come to church. But my free will is greater than their free will and they're going to come to church, right? I'm going to throw them in the car, 
right? And I'm going to drag them to church because I'm stronger and I'm bigger and I can exercise my free will over them. It doesn't mean that they don't have free will. It's just that it's not as strong as mine, right? In the same, the same way, our, our free will is subject to God, right? God is going to have his way no matter what, right? Because he's God. He's sovereign over all. He rules over all. And so my free will is, is, is subject to his. At the same time, though, <laughs> I'm never going to make a decision that God does not ultimately, has not ultimately ordained that I would make. Because God is completely sovereign over everything in my life. So my decision does not alter the outcome of God's plan one iota. It's set in stone from before the foundation of the earth. But it's still my, my decision that I'm making. Right. You can believe from your perspective that it's your free choice that you're making. But from God's perspective, it's not really free. It's not free. Because it's, it's been determined from before the foundation of the earth. So my decisions... Right, that, that, that I make. Right. You feel are free choices that you are making, but you were never going to choose anything but what you choose. Right, but I still chose it. Right. right. But, but, so but it God has will. decreed that you would choose it. But I chose it too. Right, right. Yes. 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 Uh, it's Evan here. I just have to resonate with Pastor Lucas's illustration that he is bigger, faster, and stronger. <laughs> and his will was more dominant than mine. I'm just going to have to put that out there. Last year's revival really illustrated that perfectly. I can't, I can't see him anywhere, but... All right. This last question is appropriate because these ladies are, in part, how we're able to do this. So uh, what do you most appreciate about your wives? We haven't even said anything. We already got the Oz <laughs> thrown out there. I think that was Frederick that said that. <laughs> do you want to go first? After me? Yeah. Guys, when I proposed to my wife and she said, yeah, she knew ministry was on the horizon, but she didn't know what our lives would look like. And God has been so good to us in our life. Um, but certainly she nor I could have ever imagined five kids and full-time ministry and where we're at and everything else going on. And she has been the epitome of steadfast faithfulness and um, support. I mean, she I know she's 100% behind me as I'm here, as I'm serving the church. I know that she is at home. I know that she is caring for my kids. I know that she's teaching my kids the things about God and the Bible and pointing them towards Jesus. And that's the most important thing. Um, she's doing that, and she's doing that faithfully and consistently. She's also serving the church. She loves Jesus. She loves Jesus a lot. Um, and she is investing uh, time herself in serving the church and serving in the bridge. Um, and serving with our HFG, and uh, it's just amazing. And beyond that, I think she's the most gorgeous woman that God has ever created. So um, I took that one, so you can go next, Pastor Lucas. Speechless. I think over the course of the last 16 years of my marriage, uh, the one thing that comes to mind more and more and that I appreciate more and more is, is her love for Jesus. And the way that is displayed is by the way that she thinks about other people and that she is, is constantly a servant and serves me well and serves our, our children well. And more importantly, she sees herself as a servant of Christ and wants to serve uh, 
Christ's church by, by how she lives. Um, so just a real selfless and sacrificial person. I think it's a, you know, one thing that you brought up is what would you say back to my high school self? I think I would have also told myself is, uh, I mean, I got lucky because my wife was hot and that was one of the reasons why I wanted to marry her. <laughs> but to, to not value that, right? I, I think attraction is good and that's part of God's creation is, you know, to be attracted to to someone else and to your, to your spouse. But if that, if that's your priority is to find a hot spouse, you're going to be miserably disappointed if that person is not a person that loves Jesus. Because as the proverb says that, that beauty fades, right? Uh, and really, if you find someone that loves Jesus, that's 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 the good catch. That's who who you want, right? Looks and you know what other skill sets that you know what how funny they are or whatever you're looking for in a spouse. If the the number one is not loving Jesus, right? You gotta you gotta change your perspective. And so I would look at True North, look at the people around, and say, okay, who are the? As I look at the other girls, or I look at the other guys. What are the, the, the five guys or the five girls that love Jesus the most? And then I, I would say, I want to train my mind to be attractive to, to those, pers- those people, that I had a love for, for people that love Jesus. So that's what I got. Pastor Rod, how about you? You should answer that question too. We're going to need another 15 minutes, so take a seat. Stay, stay where you are. There is so much I love about Kristen that we don't have nearly enough time to talk about this. But let me start with just a few things that I've been thinking about. Uh, one, she, one of the reasons I was attracted to her, as Pastor Lucas was saying, is because I was attracted to her godliness. She was humble. She was serving quietly, kind of out of the, she's a wallflower. That's kind of who she is, period. But she was serving quietly. And so I saw her, and I'm like, man, that's, that's hot. I got, <laughs> that humility is, is fire. I want some of that. So not only that, but her, her, her humble heart uh, radiates in service to all the people all the time. She doesn't discriminate. She's, in fact, one of the best people I know who loves other people well. And she constantly impresses me about how, how well she does that. And it's, uh, I want to say it's natural, but it's more of a supernatural quality that she possesses. She is my loyal right-hand gal. She's been there through thick and thin. She's loved me at my highs and my lows. She continues to. She loves my kids well. She teaches them all the time. She's patient. She's beautiful on top of all those things. I mean, yeah, what Pastor Lucas said, um, yeah, it was, it was physical too. But, man, I, I'm so much more thankful as I get older that our relationship is better and deeper than physicality. It's that too, but it's more than that. So thank you for asking. Dude, <laughs> my wife just texted me and said, I just tuned into the Q&A just in time for the last question. Yeah. You're welcome. Hey, guys, let's give it up for Pastor PJ and Pastor Lucas. Thank you, men, for being here tonight. I think they benefited. Let's do this again in the near future, perhaps with some heaters up here next time. All right, guys, let me pray for you, and then I'll let you guys go. And then as, as these guys are walking out, be sure to thank them. Uh, maybe ask them some more questions and follow them to the CBI building. Just kidding. Let's pray. Let's pray.